0: To Job chapter four, and we're gonna we're gonna by God's grace we're gonna go through uh, four chapters of Job. Uh, let me encourage you, and I hope you're getting uh, the emails from our class. Let me encourage you to read the portion of Job before you get here on Sunday. It will help you. We obviously through four chapters can't read through all of it, can't explain all of it. But if I know that you've read through that. Uh, even if you don't understand it, read through it, at least you'll be familiar. and then when you come here, hopefully you'll better understand it. Um, we're going to have a good time in the book of Job today. If that, that almost sounds you know blasphemous you know to enjoy Job. But wherever we're at in God's word, it's good to be in God's Word, and we're going to get some good things out of it. So let me begin with asking you this question. I want you to think about it. It's there at the top of your notes. Have you ever had a friend try to help you through a hard time? only to discover that you felt worse after they left than before they came. You ever had that? I mean, you know, and, and, and let me ask you another question. Have you ever been that friend? Okay, and, and, and here's the really hard part of that. We have probably all been that friend and didn't know it, okay, at the time. Now, here, here's what that friend is trying to do. They seek to help, but they end up hurting more than helping. They often ask questions to discover problems, to discover the problem, but they end up making you feel like you're the problem. You ever had that? You feel like you're being interrogated, but they're there to try to help you. Uh, They tend to want to fix the problem by fixing you, and therefore you feel like you're being dissected by them as they help you. Sometimes they come up with a solution based on their own experience, and they try to force your problem to fit their solution. Other times, they seem to trump your despair with their own. You ever had someone, when you're in despair and they come, and they want to talk about their their despair, they want to talk about themselves more than listen to you, but they think they're helping you? Um, others have, have had very real and very spiritual encounters with God that they now mistakenly think is a one-size-fits-all and applies to everyone else. And this happens a lot. God, you know, it's really true that God always works consistent with his word, but he rarely works with an individual in the, with with one individual exactly like he works with another. In fact, he rarely works with us the same way every time. You ever had God do something in your life and then you tried to repeat that? experience or try to get that experience again and and god doesn't doesn't always work that way but sometimes when we go to help people we're like hey god did this with me and now let me help you have him do that with you and the only problem is it doesn't often work that way some some people some friends come and help us in hard times and they feel like a, a failure if they can't fix you and your problem and they won't stop trying until they do even though you wish they they would And what's worse, if they can't fix you, they avoid you because they only know how to help you in one way, fixing your problem. Others have six or seven steps based on scripture that if you follow, you're guaranteed to set you free. It's very scriptural. It's very biblical. There's seven steps, the number of completion, follow this and you'll be free. Others are more direct and they'll simply say, say it and claim it and it's going to happen. Or they get a little more deeper and say, if you would just have more faith, if you would confess your sin a little more sincerely, all this would go away. Or better than that, you could have your best life now. Still others, when they come to help us, and again, these are our friends, uh, seem to be driven by fear, their own fear. And they sometimes shame us into trying to see things the way they do. And then on top of all this, because we're sitting on the ash heap of despair, we really do need help, we are really going through a hard times, to make matters worse, God sometimes is silent and seems totally far away. You keep knocking on heaven's door, and God's just not at home. So that brings us to the question that, that I want us to look at this morning, it's this. What should you do when life is hard, people aren't helping, and God's not at home? Well, I've got good news for you this morning. So look at your neighbor and says, he's got good news. He's got good news. And here's the good news. Job knows what to do in a time like that. Job knows. Job knows despair. Job knows what it is to sit on the ash heap of despair where life is hard, people are no help, and God's not at home. And that's where we left Job last week in Job chapter 3. In Job chapter 3 is a place where there's a lot of people right now. And I don't, I don't know about you, and I don't know about in this room, but there's a lot of people that are sitting on the ash heap of despair. If you'll slow down and interact with people this week, look at their countenance, listen to their words, you'll find that there's more people on the ash heap of despair than what you realize. But you've got to get your eyes off yourself and onto the people around you. And And, and, and here's the reality. Everything that follows in the book of Job now, Job chapter 4 all the way through, and I think it goes all the way to chapter 35, is a reaction to Job's cry of despair. In a sense, we've left chapters 1 and 2 behind. Uh, The friends are no longer concerned about Job's problems. They're concerned that Job is so despairing. He's so depressed that it seems like he's given up on God. In, in, In fact... They don't know what to do with Job after Job chapter 3 because here's what they thought Job was going to do. Confess sin. Because in their mind, you're suffering always due to sin. When Job doesn't confess his sin, but just roars and wails in despair, the three friends, they don't know how to comfort him. And so from Job chapter or at the end of Job chapter 3, they no longer are comforters. They're accusers. Because it's like, hey, the reason you're not confessing is because you're hiding, you're hiding your sin, and so we're gonna we're gonna dig it out for you, and you'll you'll be glad we did. Well, in reality, these three guys are they're afraid because these they they think they have it all figured out. If you're suffering, it's because of your sin. But Job claims he's not a sinner. He's blameless he's right with god and yet he's suffering why would that make these three guys scared right he's the most righteous man and and they consider themselves righteous and if if such a righteous man could suffer what would that mean for them they might suffer as well because it's a isn't always connected to your sin, and that means what's happening to Job could happen to me, and I can't do anything to avoid it. I'm not in control. These guys, Job is scaring them. Because behind Job is a God they can't control. And that scares us. And it ought to scare us. But it should also comfort us, because that God we can't control is compassionate, merciful, and gracious, even in the midst of adversity. So, after seven days of silence, Job roars and wails in despair. You can go online see last week's message. And now his friend Eliphaz, the experienced, speaks. So if you look in your notes, Job chapter 4 through 7 divides up in two ways. The first two chapters is the miserable comfort of Eliphaz, the experienced moralist. And here's what he says. And we're going to study what he does, how to not help a hurting friend. So the first part of this lesson is what you don't do. So as I teach it, don't go, oh, yeah, I'm going to go do No, this is what you don't do. Four easy steps to getting happy, healthy, and wealthy. I'm going to give you a short course in prosperity theology, Job 4 through 5. Then Job 6 through 7 is the persevering response of Job the blameless suffer, and that's where we're going to answer the question when life is hard people aren't helping and God's not at home what do you do and Job's going to tell us you reject easy answers and heartless explanations so let's dive in here's a short course on prosperity theology four easy steps so you're facing someone with depression someone with uh the great despair they're on the ash heap of despair And uh, here's what Eliphaz says. Hey, I got four easy steps. Just follow these four easy steps and you won't be depressed tomorrow morning. Here it is. How to get happy, healthy, and wealthy the easy way. Number one, receive wise counsel from someone with more experience than you. Receive wise counsel from someone more experienced than you. Basically, here's what Eliphaz says to him. Stop your whining and listen up to someone who is old enough to experience far more than you and therefore knows more than you. He kind of puts Job in his place and just says, quit your roaring, quit your wailing. If you just listen to me, you could get out of this despair. You know, and sometimes we can act that way towards people, right? Yeah, we can be that way. Well, let's take a look at it. Let's look at Job 4, 1 through 5. Then Eliphaz, the Temanite, Answered, I always think termite, but it's temanite. Here's what he says, verse 2. If one ventures a word with you, will you become impatient? But who can refrain from speaking? Behold, you have admonished many, and you have strengthened weak hands. Your words have helped the tottering to stand, and you have strengthened feeble knees. But now it has come to you, and you are impatient. It touches you, and you are dismayed. In other words, what he says is, Job, listen to me and just practice what you preach to others. If you would just do what you've told others to do, you'd get yourself out of this mess. And then he comes to verse 6 and he says this, and, and he, and he, he kind of sticks the knife in it a little bit because he says, basically, Job, if you are as blameless as you say you are, then you oughtn't be depressed, you oughtn't be despair, because if you're that blameless, God's going to get you out of this quickly, immediately. Look at verse 6. Is not your fear of God your confidence and the integrity of your ways, your hope? Basically saying, why are you so depressed? Why are you so fearful when your fear of God ought to, ought to lift you out of despair? And he's basically saying, if you're as blameless as you say you you are then you should have real hope instead of being hopeless basically he's saying this why such doom and gloom job if you really are as blameless as you have appeared and now claim to be god's going to come through for you so quit being depressed all right now basically what he's just done is rebuke job for not practicing what he preaches and for not seeking wise counsel and so that's step number one step number one is basically shut up And listen to me, because I know how to get you out of this. Number one. Step number two. Remember the law of the harvest. You always reap what you sow. So first receive my counsel. Quit wailing. Quit roaring. Quit being depressed. Just listen to me. I'll get you out of this. Number two. Remember the law of the harvest. You always reap what you sow. And uh, basically, the reap what you sow principle is this. Everybody always gets what they deserve before they die. Now, the reaping what you sow is a biblical principle. That's biblical. The problem is when you think the principle applies before you die. You, do not all, you will always reap what you sow, but sometimes you won't reap it until when? After you die, either in heaven or in hell. The problem with Job's friends is they had this figured out to where you will always reap what you sow before you die. Therefore, Job, if you're really blameless, God's going to get you out of this suffering because you'll reap it before you sow. And if he doesn't, if you die and you're still suffering and God doesn't heal you or God doesn't make you rich, then it's very evident you were a sinner all along. Because You always reap what you sow in this life now let me give you the three kind of the three principles because this these verses that we're going to look at here chapter 4 verse 7 through 5 this is kind of the basis of everything these three guys are going to say for all the rest of the of their argument with job all three friends are working off of this premise number one everyone reaps what they sow before they die The law of the harvest can never be broken. Let's look at Job 4, 7 through 11. Remember now, see, he's saying, remember this law of the harvest. Whoever perish being innocent, you see, you don't die uh, broken, unhealthy, uh, uh, unwealthy if you're godly. And where were the upright destroyed? According to what I have seen, those who plow iniquity and those who sow trouble harvest. You always reap what you sow before you die. By the breath of God, they perish. And by the blast of his anger, they come to an end. The roaring of a lion and the voice of the fierce lion and the teeth of the young lions are broken. The lion perishes for lack of prey and the whelps of the lion lioness are scattered. <coughs> now, why is he talking about a lion? Because... Job has been roaring and groaning like a lion. He's saying, "Look, I'll tell you why you're groaning. It's because God breaks the ungodly and you're ungodly. And the reason your' young uh you're, you, your kids have died, not your young kids, but your your kids have died is because God destroys the godly and their children. and so everyone reaps what they sow. everybody always gets what they deserve before they die. Point number two, if point number one's true. And if point number two is true, look at point number two. Everyone is sinful. So no one is blameless as to be completely sinless. So if you always reap what you sow and everyone's sinful, what's that mean? Everybody's going to suffer because of their sin. Got it? And what's the basis of this? Look at verse 8. Look at verse 8 of chapter 4. Here's how he knows what he's teaching. According to what I've sinned. It's all based on my experience. Eliphaz says, look, I know this is true because I've experienced it. But then in verses 12 through 21, we won't read through it, but verses 12 through 21 of chapter 4, he says, not only have I experienced it, but I had this weird vision at night. I had a spiritual encounter with God. Now, I wish I could explore this, develop this for you. And let me try a little bit. There's a lot on TV. There's a lot in books. There's a lot in our own experience that when you're in trouble, people come out of the woodwork who have had spiritual encounters with God that know how to fix you. Are you with me? In other words, if you listen to the prosperity preachers, if you listen to a lot of televangelists, if you go to the self-help section of a bookstore, you will find people who will basically say these two things. Look, by experience, I know how to fix this. Because in my experience, here's what I did. Now, let me preach my experience to you. And if you don't think that's a great enough authority, God told me. God revealed this to me. I fasted, I prayed, or I I got alone with God's word. And now I have this great spiritual insight. And if you just send me a few dollars, I'll let you in on what it is. Or if you'll buy my book, I'll let you know what it is. And listen, when you're hurting, we are all susceptible to that kind of talk. Because when you're hurting, when you're on the ash heap of despair, you are what? Desperate. And you are suscept- You have distorted thinking, and you're wanting relief. And when someone comes along and says, look, I've got experience. I've been where you've been, and I've gotten out of it. And by the way, I can validate what I've done because I've had this great vision, this great encounter, and, and basically... If I, I don't want to say it this bluntly, but I'm more spiritual. And therefore, I can help you because you're down here and I'm up here now. So I'm spiritual. You're struggling. Let me help you get out. Are you with me? I'm, I'm, are you getting the tone of this? That's what he says. So he, so he goes down and he says, I had this vision. Now, what's interesting is he never claims this vision is from God. And I don't think it was from God. But here's the point about experience. When someone has an experience with God and claims it's from God, you can't really tell them it's not. But what you can do is say, I can't deny your experience, but I can measure it by the word of God. And in reality, if your experience lines up with the word of God, then I don't really need your experience because I have God's word. Just point me to God's word. Are you with me? So, he says, look, everyone reaps what they sow before they die and everyone is sinful. So no one is so blameless as to be completely sinless. So, Job, you claim this isn't because of your sin, but no one is that blameless. And therefore, number three, here's point number three. Therefore, everyone suffers for his or her sin. You're suffering. It must be because of sin. No one's so blameless as to not be sinless. Everybody reaps what they sow in this life. You're getting what you deserve. Are you with me? Look at Job 5, 1 through 7. Call now. Is there anyone who will answer you? To which of the holy ones will you turn? For vexation slays the foolish man, and anger kills the simple. I have seen the foolish taking root. Yeah, they start good, and I cursed his abode immediately. His sons are far from safety. They are even oppressed in the gate neither is there a deliverer. Basically what he just said was, Job, your son's died and you're suffering and it's because you got, you're a sinner. It's because you've sinned. His, he, his harvest, the hungry devour and take it to the place of thorns and the schemer is eager for their wealth for affliction does not come from the dust nor neither does trouble sprout from the ground for man is born for trouble as sparks fly upward. Job, the, the reap what you sow principle cannot be broken. It's what we were born to live with. Your kids have died. You're suffering. You're not as blameless as you think. If you just confess this, we can get on to better things. So let's look at it. Remember, here's how you get healthy, wealthy, and happy in four easy steps. Receive the counsel of ones more experienced than you. Remember the law of the harvest. Number three, repent in light of god's discipline of your sin if if what eliphaz is saying is right if the prosperity preachers are right then all you've got to do to get healthy is repent if all if all you got to do is get out of bankruptcy is repent all you have to do is get out of depression is just repent because it's all due to what you have done and if you would just get it right then you would get out of the pit does this sound familiar You know, all of us here can fall into this if we're not careful. We can all fall into this thinking. And so in Job 5, 8 through 16, here's what he says. Look at, look at, we'll read a little bit. Look at verse 8. But as for me, here's what I would do. I would seek God and I would place my cause before before God. Quit your belly aching. Quit your crying, your whining. If you just get down and get serious about your sin, this would all turn out better. Who does great things and unsearchable things? Then he goes on and he talks about God's great power, God's great sovereignty, God's great ability to deliver you. The only problem with God's sovereignty, it's all dependent on what you do. You see, God's got all this power and you're holding him up. Man, I could be a prosperity preacher. Do Do you not hear this? See, God's got all these blessings and all you got to do is just release the power within you. You're blocking God's deliverance of you. It's all up to you, Job. And Job's looking at him like, you guys are nuts. I'm sitting on this ash heap of despair simply because I want to, and I don't believe enough, and I'm not righteous enough? you are got to be kidding me. If it was something I could do, I'd be out of here. But we're talking about four easy steps to getting happy, healthy, and wealthy. So, plead your case before God who is powerful and wise beyond measure, and he will help you. Now, number four, here's the good part. Here's why you need to follow my four easy steps. Number four, reap more prosperity and less adversity after you sow some humility. Reap more prosperity, less adversity. I almost want, it didn't rhyme as good. Really, reap more prosperity than you've ever imagined. And zero adversity is really the implication here. Because after all, if all sufferings do the sin, and if you'll just make it right, you should never suffer. You should never get cancer. You should never die of an incurable disease. God will come through. After all, he's the guy that walked on water, and he's the God that made the blind see, and, and you know how it goes, okay? Ironically, Eliphaz is siding with the adv- adversary against God By tempting Job to serve God for what he gives instead of who he is. see, He's saying to Job, look, serve God. Get right with God, not because God's holy, but because he'll make you rich. Get right with God because he'll make you healthy. Get right with God because you can have your best life now. And oh, by the way, he's holy, too. When in reality the message of the gospel, the persevering gospel, is really this. Get right with God, whether you're in, in whether you're rich or poor, whether you're healthy or unhealthy. God is worthy of all that we have when we're on the in the on the ash heap or when we're on the mountaintop. See, it's not about where we are, it's about who He is. Got it? Okay, say say got it. Good. All right. Now, his final statement in verse 27 is really smug, self satisfied, and arrogant. Look at what he says in verse 27 Behold, this, we have investigated it, and so it is. Hey, I said it, that settles it, and God, he agrees with me. Hear it and know for yourself. Here, and here's the deal, and this is where it gets so tempting. See, if you'll follow my four easy steps, And uh, send me a little money. I'll send you some anointing oil. And I'll send you a prayer shawl. And if you'll just go these four easy steps, you too can be rich like me. You too can be as healthy as I'm healthy until I get cancer and then my ministry kind of changes. Okay? Uh, So there you go. Four easy steps to a better life now. Receive, remember, repent, and reap. Now, wouldn't it be great if life was that simple? Nod your head. And say that would be great. Okay, it would be great, but life isn't that simple. And this is how not to help the hurting. So where did Eliphaz go wrong? So that we don't do the same thing. I, I, I sat and I, I thought about this, and I looked at. It. Here's where he goes wrong. He has wrong assumptions, which leads to a wrong approach, done with a wrong attitude. There's three things wrong with this. A wrong assumptions that then leads to a wrong approach. Done with a wrong attitude. So let's look at it. Where did Eliphaz, the experienced moralist, go wrong? Well, first of all, he started talking. But, but here he had wrong assumptions. So let, let's go through these real quickly. First of all, wrong assumption number one. All adversity is God's punishment for sin. Wrong. Wrong assumption. Once you start off with that assumption, everything goes south. Got it? All adversity adversity suffering is due to god's punishment for sin but let's get honest number one when we suffer our first thought is if we're sensitive if we're if we're godly god followers we do have a tendency and it's not always wrong check my life and say god are you trying to get my attention and if i find something confess it but then if i immediately don't get better don't think that there's more sin and i got to dig deeper are you with me And let's face it, too. There's some people that we may think need to get what's coming to them. And when they get sick, what's our first thought? You deserve that. Well, God, it was about time you woke up and slapped them silly. When, in fact, we ought to back off and say, maybe they deserve, you know, some discipline from God. But that doesn't mean that their sickness or their their financial problems is directly God judging them. We don't know that. Number two, here's wrong assumption number two. There must be hidden sin in your life. You see, if if number one is assumed, then number two follows. There must be hidden sin. Therefore, these guys shift from being comforters to accusers. See, here's the thing. If you think that everybody that's hurt or, or suffering or financially distressed, or physically ill, it's due to some sin, your approach to them is always going to see, well, let's let's look for the sin. And you might be wanting to help them really sincerely, but you're not going to help them because you think it always has to be rooted in sin. Number three, the wrong third wrong assumption is the goal is to ask, how can I get out of this to get more from God versus what does God want to do through this for his glory? Two totally different questions. These guys assume the question is, how do I get off the ash heap instead of what does God want to do through my ash heap experience for His glory? Number four, I have... Now, here's the key one. Here's the key assumption. I have the wisdom and experience to judge another person's relationship with God by what they're experiencing, whether it's adversity or prosperity. In other words, I've got the wisdom and I've got the knowledge to say that if you're being blessed, it's because you're you're righteous. And if you're suffering, it's because you're unrighteous. And I've got this all figured out. Now, again, when I say it that way, you're like, well, who's dumb enough to think that way? Look at your neighbor and say, me. Okay, not you, me. Look at your neighbor and say, me. I'm dumb enough to think that way. I am, and so are you. Okay, now, wrong assumptions leads to the wrong approach. Number two, Eliphaz took the wrong approach. And if you make those assumptions, here's how you approach people in despair. Number one, everything can be fixed with four easy steps. Cross through four and just put any number you want, okay? Everything can be fixed through one easy step, two easy. The point is, I can fix you one, two, three, four, all right? Seven if you're really biblical, right? Okay. Um, Number two. The wrong approach is, my experiences trump your present experience. Don't you love it? You're sitting on the ash heap. pus is oozing from your sores. You you think you're going to die with an incurable disease, and someone comes and says, you know what? I've experienced this. Let me just help you here a little bit. I remember when I, or I remember when my Aunt Gertrude had this very same thing. Now, when you're on the... I don't want to hear about your experiences. I don't want to hear about your experiences. Because the bottom line is, your experiences are whose? Yours. And my experiences are whose? Mine. What we need is God, not not your experiences right now. It doesn't mean we don't share out of our experience, but do you get what I'm saying? You've been there, haven't you? Where you're experiencing something, and when people come, they just want to talk about all the things that they went through. My experience trumps your present experience. There's people that when you suffer, you can't out-suffer them. When you hurt, you can't out-hurt them. When you're depressed, you can't out-depress them. And you ought to just buck up because your depression's not as bad as mine when I went through it. And your hurt isn't as bad as mine when I went through it. And your pain isn't as bad as mine as when I went through it, so let me help you. No thanks. Number three. Wrong approach. I have God in a box, and it's tied tight with my own limited wisdom. I've got God figured out. Here's how God works. Let me tell you how he works. And the reason I know is because I'm wise enough to know, and you're not. And so listen to me. That's really what he's saying. Uh, Are you getting a little uncomfortable? Because I hope you are, because it's, it's us. This is us, right? Number four, I will fix the despair of your heart with explanations for your head. Wrong approach. Wrong approach. See, elf, has, elf I mean, this guy's been roaring and wailing. We spent two weeks. He's hurting. He's at the bottom. He is crying his eyes out. His His eyes are glazed over with sorrow. And he says, well, let me give you four easy steps and explain what you're going through. That's not how you do it. It's not how you do it. Wrong approach. You don't fix the despair of the heart with explanations just for the head. Number three, the wrong approach leads to the wrong attitude. Where did Eliphaz miss the boat? Number one, he showed no sympathy to Job or empathy with Job. This guy's roaring and wailing. You know what the first step he should have done? Roared and wailed with him. He should have said, I see how bad you're hurting. I see it. I hear it. Let's just let's just sit here and experience that for a little bit. Because you know what? I'm doing pretty good. I mean, I'm here in the stinking garbage dump with you, but I'm still not sitting where you're sitting. So I just think I need to listen and 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 I just need to I need to feel your pain a little bit before I say much of anything. Now, yes, they sat there seven days but obviously they didn't use those seven days wisely or he wouldn't have been saying what he's saying. So basically, when someone's hurting and you sit with them and don't say anything, that's good, but eventually you got to say something, and what you say after your silence reveals whether you have sympathy and empathy. Sympathy is, I see your suffering. Empathy is, I will share with your suffering. These guys didn't do either one. Notice what Warren Wiersbe says. You do not heal a broken heart with logic. You heal a broken heart with love. These guys have no love in their four easy steps. Number two, he applied truth. And there's a lot of truth to what... These guys are not preaching false doctrine. They're wrongly applying good doctrine. So they are applying truth in a rigid manner based on the assumption that he knew everything there was to know about God's sovereignty as well as Job's integrity and adversity. Basically, Elphaz sitting there saying, Look, I've got truth, and I know exactly how to apply it to your situation because I know exactly what God's up to, I know exactly how, what your heart's like, and I know exactly why this is happening, so follow my four easy steps. Now, when someone comes at you that way, run. Run. Okay? And when you hear yourself giving advice that way, stop. Stop. Look at these two great quotes. Eliphaz, as a counselor, is a supreme negative example. Great truths misapplied only hurt more those who are already hurting. Eliphaz is a dangerous man who speaks the truth at the wrong time with the wrong spirit. All right. Well, there you have it, how not to do it. But we still haven't answered the question Life's hard, people aren't helping, God's not at home, what do I do? To have that answer, we've got to look at the next two chapters. We've got to look at Job's response. And here's what Job does. Here's a real easy way. Reject easy answers and heartless explanations. Here's what you do. Number one, now, I've got three points, but listen to the points. These are not three easy steps to get out. They are three easy steps to get out to persevere through, and God will get you out on his timetable. You see, there's nothing wrong with principles. There's nothing wrong with points. It's when you say, do this, 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 and you'll get this, 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 at this, this, this time. But when you say, hey, do these three things and trust a sovereign God who's compassionate to get you out of this, that's a totally different package. So I hope you see this. Number one, persevere through your despair. Now, do you see why Eliphaz is so appealing? Oh, great. I thought you were going to tell me how to get out of this. I am. Persevere through it. Yeah, but when's it going to end? I can't tell you that. I don't know. What's God up to? I can't tell you that. I don't know. Persevere through your despair. Now, this is beautiful. Look at Job chapter 6. So, Eliphaz, the oldest, the wisest, has gone on for two chapters. We don't know how long it took to really say it. I bet it wasn't short. But he went through all this, and when he's all done, he says, now, if you just listen to me, you'll, you'll get this figured out. You'll be happier, healthier, and wealthier. So here's how it works with old Job. Look at Job chapter 6, verse 1. Then Job answered, you know, you're right. I'm just going to do that and get out of this. Here. No, here's what he says. Oh, that my vexation were actually weighed and laid in the balances together with my calamity. Basically, you've, I've already been in depression. Now, if I add the frustration of listening to you, it'd be more than the sands on the sea. And then he says this, For then it would be heavier than the sands of the sea. Therefore, my words have been rash, for the arrows of the Almighty are within me. Their poison poison, my spirit drinks, the terrors of God are against me. Does the wild donkey bray over his grass, or does the ox low, low, low over the fodder? Can, someone taste, can something tasteless be eaten without salt? No. Is there any taste in the white of an egg? No. My soul refuses to touch them. They are loathsome food to me. You know what he does? He picks up where he left off. That's Job 3 again. Why? Because answers for the head don't do anything for the heart. All they, All Job had to do, Job basically just said, Okay, I had to endure your two chapters, and all you've done is made my despair greater. Because it isn't this easy. It just isn't this easy. And I don't have sin in my life. And this isn't because I've sinned. And you haven't answered any of my questions. And I'm still here. And you're still there. Job picks up where he leaves off. And he just starts roaring and wailing. So, here's what you do. When people aren't helping, and life's hard... And God's not answering. Just keep persevering. through. It's okay to keep roaring and keep wailing because that's where you're at. Just keep persevering. That's number one. Number two, protest foolish counsel about your despair. Protest it. Point it out. Reject it. Protest. Here's what Job says in verses 11 through 30. Your miserable comfort is no help. Now, I can't make this any more practical. When people aren't helping, tell them, you're not helping. You're not helping. This isn't helping. Your counsel, and you know why? I, I, I can't develop this. You you will read through verses 11 through 30. You know those four, uh, the three things that Eliphaz did wrong? Job tells him, Here, here's why you're not helping. Number one. You counsel with the wrong attitude. You guys have no heart. I will read this. Look at verse 14. Look at verse 14. I'll just dip into it. For the despairing man, there should be kindness from his friends so that he does not forsake the fear of the almighty. You guys are trying to get me to stay faithful to God. You're driving me. from. If I keep listening to you guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit on you and I'm going to quit on God. Show me a little kindness. And then verse 15, my brothers, have acted deceitfully like a wadi. A wadi is a place where you get refreshment in the desert, like the torrents of wadis which vanish, which are turbid because of ice and to which the snow melts. What he says is, you guys came, and I thought I was going to get refreshment. I thought you were going to be an oasis in the midst of my desert of despair, and I was so looking forward to the comfort and the encouragement, and you guys are dry as dust. You haven't satisfied my heart need. You counsel with the wrong attitude. You have no heart. Number two, you counsel with the wrong approach. You're fear-driven, shame-based, and you're man-centered. You're pointing me to what I can do or not do. You're shaming me into confessing sin that I haven't done, and it's all driven by your own fear. Look at verse 21. Indeed, you have now become such. You see a terror and you are afraid. Job's saying this. The reason you're pushing me so hard to think like you do, because if you're wrong, you're afraid this could happen to you. And you and and it's really tempting, isn't it, to entertain false ideas about God so we can feel better about what may happen to us in the future. See, there's a whole lot of people that think God grades on the curve because it makes them feel better about life after death. There's a whole lot of people that like to think that everybody gets what they deserve because it makes them feel better about ungodly people getting off the hook in this life. And it somehow justifies what they're going through. And this book is so practical. Number 3. Because you got the wrong attitude. You have the wrong attitude because you have the wrong approach and then Job says, your cancel is based on the wrong assumption. I have sinned and deserve everything I'm getting. You know what's interesting about uh, verses 24 through 30? Look at chapter 6. In chapter 6, verses 24 through 30, you might want to write in your margin, all the uh, pronouns of you in that are plural. He's addressing all three, because Eliphaz is speaking for all three of them. All three are saying the same thing. You've sinned, and you deserve what you're getting. If you want to get out of it, confess it. Okay, so number one, What do you do when life's hard? People aren't helping. God's not at home. He's not answering. Number one, persevere through your despair. Number two, protest foolish counsel. Protest it. And then number three, pursue God in your despair. That's all of chapter seven. Pursue God in your despair. Here's the good news. Job says in chapter seven, God, leave me alone because my misery is great and my life is short. You're like, that's pursuing God? Yes, because for the first time, For the first time on the ash heap of despair, God, uh, Job is addressing God. Remember what I said in chapter 3? He was just roaring and wailing and just, you know how you say, life's, you're not really praying. You're not really talking to anyone. It's just in there and you're just puking it out. This is a turning point. In chapter 7, he tells his friends, you guys are no help. And he looks up to God. Now, when he looks up to God, he says, God, leave me alone. But that's, the, you say, I, I thought we we're supposed to pursue God. Oh, God, I know you're holy and wise, and my suffering has a purpose. Therefore, I pray to you, give me grace to persevere. See that, we have this holy image. No, this is how you pursue God in your despair. God, leave me alone. Get me out of this. Quit bugging me. I want out. You know. In other words, he's complaining, but who's he complaining to? who to God and who can do something about it God see now he he, at least now he's whining and warring and and wailing to the right person amen and that's why he's going to find the right answers eventually are you with me really huge it'll change your prayer life we're going to talk upstairs about groaning and prayer part of that groaning is like God leave me alone but at least I'm at least we're talking (laughs) at least we're talking this is a turning point. He's he's honest in prayer. I, I like how Job 711 is summed up. Not seven eleven. Job seven eleven is summed up by the message. So I'm not keeping one bit of this quiet. I'm laying it out all on the table. My I'm my complaining to high heaven is bitter, but it's honest. That's good stuff. All right. And then look at verse 21. The last words of Job are this. Why then do you not pardon my transgression? and take away my iniquity now i will lie down in dust and you will seek me but i will not be basically he's saying this god well here's what happens when you listen to bad counsel you start thinking they're right so even though he knows he doesn't have sin they've introduced the issue of sin and so he's saying look if i've sinned then you better hurry up and forgive me because i'm not going to last long he was wrong about both those things first of all he didn't need to repent. God wasn't waiting for him to repent because there was nothing to repent of. He just needed to be patient and wait on God. Number two, he thought he's going to die at any moment, and we know he isn't. He's going to last another 38 chapters. I hope you do. He's going to last another 38 chapters. In other words, he's going to live beyond this. He's wrong about how hopeless the situation is. All right. He needs to persevere. So here's you do. What do you do when life's hard? People aren't helping. Let me sum up the whole lesson. And here's two practical principles. And uh, Chuck Swindoll uh, really put these in good words. So here they are. There are times when the words of others only make our troubles worse. Tell them they are not helping you. So when when life's hard and people aren't helping, tell them. Don't listen to everybody that has advice. Even good people can give bad counsel. Here's the key. Be teachable but discerning. Teachable. But discerning, listen, but listen to the right people. Are you with me? What do you watch out for? How, who do I not listen to? People with the wrong assumptions, people with the wrong attitude, people with the wrong approach. So go back in this lesson. Look at those. Look under Eliphaz and people that come with this assumptions, and this approach, and this attitude are probably not going to help you get out of the pit of your depression. Got it? But do understand that all counselors, you know, all human counselors are human and don't expect, you know, Jesus in the flesh to be counseling you. We're all messed up, but you know what I'm saying? If someone's really shaming, guilting, blaming you and not helping you, then you need to seek other godly counsel. Number 2, there are times when God's ways only make us more confused. Trust him anyway. That's what Job's doing. Trust him anyway. Hey, Job is just as messed up in chapter 6 and 7 as he is in 3. The only thing that he's done better is he sought God in his confusion. He is going to trust God. Remember what Job says later. Though he slay me, I will trust him. I will trust him. And I love these. And these are things that you can stick on your mirror when you shave or brush your teeth. Trust God's grace when you can't see his face. And trust God's plan when you can't see his hand. That's what you do. That's what you do when people aren't helping. When God's not answering, you trust his grace when you can't see his face. You trust his plan when you can't see his hand. Now, here's the personal project. And we got two personal projects. So that we won't be in Eliphaz, here's a personal project for friends who want to help the hurting. We really ought to do this almost on a daily basis. Stand in front of a mirror and just shrug your shoulders. Okay, do that. Everybody, do that. Come on. You need some exercise. In. You need to wake up. Just shrug your shoulders and then say in the mirror, "I don't know. I just don't know. I don't have all the answers, but I know the one who does. You can trust him, any, even when he doesn't seem at home." I, I don't know. It's okay to say, "I don't know." I don't have four easy steps. I don't have all the, I don't have him figured out. I don't have your problem figured out. Heck, I I don't have myself figured up out. I just don't know. But I know the one who does. Trust him. And then if you're a sufferer like Job and you're hurting, basically you kneel before God and you cry out the same thing. God, I don't know. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know why I'm in this. I don't know how I'm going to get out. I don't know what your timetable is. I don't have all the answers, but I know you do. I'll trust you. When I can't see your face, I'm going to trust your grace. When I can't see your hand in this, I'm going to trust your plan. I'm just going to trust you, and I'm going to persevere, and I'm not going to bail on you. I'm not going to bail on your church. I'm not going to bail on your word. I'm not going to bail on prayer. I'm just going to stick it out. And here's what uh, Swindoll says. The great news is this. God never shrugs. He never looks in the mirror and shrugs. He never says that. With acute perception, he says, I know exactly why this happened. I know the way you take. I know why. And I know how long you'll be there. And I know what the end result be. Shrugging and deity are incompatible. God knows, even if he doesn't tell us. And while you're shrugging there and saying, I don't know, he's saying, good for you. Rely on me in the mystery. Trust me. God never promised he would inform us ahead of time all about his plan. He just promised that he has one. That's good stuff. Ultimately, it's for our good and his glory. He knows. We don't. That's why we shrug and admit. I don't know. So if you and I meet someday and you ask me a deep theological question, don't be surprised if I shrug and I say, I don't know, but I know the one who does. Trust him. When people aren't helping, tell them and then trust God. When God's not answering, trust Him anyway. He'll get you. Let's pray.